Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. All right, all right. Everybody's doing good today. If I didn't get a chance to greet you personally today, welcome to Harvest Time Church. So today we are beginning a a series focusing on connection. Uh, Cecily just shared real briefly about that, but we believe that connection is is what causes you to be all that God has called you to be. When, When you're not connected, you are disconnected. When you're disconnected, that is one of the, the most dangerous places to be because when you are disconnected from the body of Christ or your family or God, you are at a vulnerable place where the enemy can destroy your life. You guys hear that? It's, it's a vulnerable place. God never intended us to live alone uh, apart from relationship. You know, so when we talk about connection, um, it's, it's, it's critically important. You know, so when we think of the word connection, what's the first thing that really comes to your mind? When we say connection, you know, today's culture, it's usually focused around Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, the number of friends, followers, likes, or loves that determines our status and how popular or connected we are with the world around us. How many of you have ever looked how many how many of you when you post something you you thrive on seeing how many people either saw it, liked it, or loved it? Don't lie. How many of you? A few of you? Some of you say, I don't care, I just put it out there and I don't look at it. You know, um, but I know a lot, of, a lot of the culture that we live in is really influenced by that connection uh, that those apps and those programs and those things offer, okay? So when we think about connection, that is not what I'm talking about, okay? So I want to make sure that we talk about the, the focus of what the connection is not, but ultimately what the connection is in regards to what God desires of us. You know, um... You know, so I, you know, don't get me wrong. I love technology. I love the availability that, uh, that these apps provide. You know, uh, they, they allow me to stay connected with all my friends all over the face of the world. You know, we have friends that we met in Africa that I'm seeing their kids and their kids' kids grow up on Facebook. You know, there's these things. It's a, it's a great networking tool. But we can't, we can't use this networking tool and saying, hey, because I have friends, hey, I am connected with people, right? You know, uh, this is never what God had in mind when he said the word connection. So we have to understand that what culture has tried to do is make a substitute for connection, right? He really has, you know, through, through Facebook, all of these things, this social media world that we are in, you know, uh, to me, it is so interesting, you know, I think the millennials and these next generation of, of adults that are growing up, it, it, we are being adapted to a non-relational, non-connected way of living. You say, Pastor Noe, what are you talking about? Okay, I'll call you three times and you don't answer. I text you once and you reply. Not saying now, I mean, I know sometimes, you know, you're in a situation where you can't talk, but we, are in, we, we prefer not to talk and we prefer to text for whatever reason. I, I have seen text destroy relationships sometimes. You pull that phone out and you say, right here. Well, how many of the times when somebody, when you read that or somebody has read it, said, man, that is not what I meant, but that's how you interpreted it. 
And I've seen people get all kinds of flustered. And, you know, anytime I don't understand or I'm unclear, I ask clarifying questions. When I was at STP, they made us all go through a class that was called Crucial Conversations. It was how to make sure we understood the message being sent was the message received. I understand that you understand that this is what I was saying. Some of those clarifying questions will save your life from confusion, from frustration. And, you know, I know that when we went through that because they were trying to get the whole plant to go through that process. Now, there were some nuggets that I took away that really helped me in ministry and communication. Now, most of us were like, this is just a waste of time and resources. But, you know, asking those clarifying questions. Is this what you meant? Is this what you mean by that? Or when, when I call you, I'm either tired of texting, the conversation has got too long, and I can, I can say everything I'm going to say in one minute versus the next 30 minutes of texting. You know, once it gets to mo- a paragraph of text and you're right here, you know, even talking into it, it's just, to me, it just covers more ground being relational and being able to actually communicate. So what, what, what I'm saying is not that texting is bad, not that these ways of communicating are, not, are, are bad, but they cannot be our norm for connection. They cannot be our norm for our basis of relationship, guys. It can't be say, oh, yeah, you know, I reached out to all my family, and, you know, and sometimes we just want to hear your voice. So what else have they offered to make it a little bit more relational? How many of you have ever used FaceTime or Messenger video, all of these things? So now that not only have they replaced, you know, just the, the, the data, but the visual. Now this took it up a level where now we almost feel like, I know when I was working shift work at the plant, I was missing ball games or different things like that. Dad would be on FaceTime, you know, with the screen watching the game. You know, it gave me the the feeling of being there, but there was still something that was not the same. I was not physically present. So what I'm talking about, when I say connection, this requires you to be physically present. This allows you, this requires you to be physically involved. And don't settle for just the FaceTime or just the text messaging or this, 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 this culture of, of shifting of a disconnected culture. This is not God's best for what he's wanting to build in the body of Christ. Now, I'm not saying a quick little memo, hey, guys, just a reminder, you know, men's meeting or hey, you know, like just for communication. But when I'm talking about healthy relationships, go to breakfast, sit across from each other and leave your phone in the car and see what happens. You'd be like, well, what if somebody calls? You'll survive. Just tell somebody where you're going if you're really worried about it. That's how we used to do it in the old days. You know, it's just, I'm going to breakfast, you know, my phone's in the car and that's where I'll be if you need me, Right. You know, but we've gotten to where it's such a crutch and, and, we're, and it's causing our relationship and our connection with people to really be deteriorated. So we're, really, we need to strive to make sure that we are physically present, that there is a physical presence element that, that is happening in our, in our connection with each other. So when we talk about connection in, the, in, the lives, in our lives, there's three different areas in these next few weeks that I want to f- focus on and that I believe are super critical to, to being connected. So today we're going to look at our connection with God, and then we're going to look at our connection with uh, the church, and then we're going to look at our connection with the family. You know, and I'm not talking about the family of God, the family, I'm talking about the family structure, the importance of being connected, you know, you know, as a husband and wife, as a parent to children, as, you know, you, you know, your blood relatives, even being connected like within the family, okay? So our connection with God, church, and family. James 4.8 This is going to be our core scripture for today. It says, come near to God and he will come near to you. And the rest of that passage says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
you know, so that first part of the scripture is like really nice. It's like, yes, draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. And it's always nice to try to stop there. But I think when it's covered in the same context, you need to follow the other part. What is God concerned about here? Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. What he is saying is get right. He says, you know, when you draw to me, I will draw near to you. But we have to understand that we got to have a purification process because sin cannot abide in the presence of a holy, pure God. You know, so there is some focus there of what he's saying. It says, man, get right. You know, if, I, if you're going to have a, if you're going to be in connection with me, you have to be right. You have to have a pure life. You have to have, you have to clean up your mess. But it's only by his grace that we do that. You guys realize that, right? He, he allows us the way to be able to do that. You know, so if we go back to the beginning of time and we look at how God originally uh, started his relationship connection with mankind, how many of you know it started in the garden? You know, if we look at the very, very beginning, you know, you know, in the beginning was God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit says the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the earth. You know, and they begin to form things. They begin to make night and they begin to make day and they begin to make they begin to speak forth creation into existence. Well, you know, on according to that plan. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, I mean, I'm just picturing them sitting around making this awesome plan of how will we, we have such a great relationship amongst us and a connection between us. Wouldn't it be cool to make someone in our image that we could share this family concept, this connectedness with? And they got the idea, and it's in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, it says, then God said, when God says it, it happens. This is what he says. He says, let's make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created them in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it and to rule over it. So we see this process of where, where God began to create mankind, you know, and if you've never read it, Genesis 1, 2, 3, and 4, you'll see the, the, the original plan of what God wanted. You see man mess it up really, really quick, and then you see a downward spiral. The good thing is the day that we live in now, we've seen the whole story unfold where we see uh, where humanity has fractured their relationship, their connectedness with God. And then we see that God had a plan to restore that through his son, Jesus Christ. We see, you know, we know the whole story. Thank God that we're not at that place of where we're being banished from the Garden of Eden and, and in hopes of will it ever be restored? Did we mess up forever? Will we ever be once again reconnected with God in that intimacy with God? But it goes all the way back to the beginning, right? So we have to understand from that passage that everything that God created and made was done perfectly. God does not make mistakes. Do you realize that? Man messes it up. And we see here in the story in Genesis, it happens rather quickly. Um, you know, but it, we have to understand, you know, in that passage, there's some context for, you know, what we should believe, what we should support. It says male and female, he created them. Male and female, it doesn't say one was a male and then decided to be female. It doesn't say female and then one decided to be male. I mean, his ultimate goal was what? To, to go, rule, and reign, but also to multiply. So when we look at all of this structure for God's original plan, you cannot multiply in the earth male to male and female to female, guys. All of these things go against God's original plan, his original design. 
So God establishes the standard and then man interprets it and he either, he either follows through with it or he messes it up. Well, we're in a culture today of where we've messed it up more than we've done things right. You know, this is, this is what we're living in today. All of these, you know, adjustments to God's original standard have been modified because man messed it up, not because God messed it up. God is good, he's perfect, and he never misses the mark. We have to understand who God is. I hear a lot of people justify things. Well, if God was this, why did he allow this? God established the standard. You know, I uh, think about how far to take this. This is a whole other subject, but God doesn't mess up, guys. Just because you have more feminine traits doesn't mean that you are female if you've been born male. You know, I think there's over-masculine and over-feminine. It's like we have different natures, and because you lean towards one or the other, I believe that God built us male or female, and if you were born male, you are a male. If you were born female, you were a female. It, wasn't your, it should not be allowed your choice to say, hey, what do you want to be now? You know, we're in a culture shift of chaos, like to where, you know, I don't know on your job descriptions, you know, if, is it going to be, are you male or female or what's your preference? Like, what is this, what type of culture are we going into? You know, what do you prefer? What do you, you know, it is just getting to where it is more of a, uh, of a sin-centered focused culture rather than a God-centered culture focused. So when we go back to the beginning, he has the blueprints, you know, I had somebody tell me a while back, says, well, we're under grace now, Pastor Noe. I said, well, the, God, God, the same God we serve is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his, his standard never diminishes. If anything, it increases because of the grace and the blood of Christ on our lives. You know, it's not like he changed his mind and said, you know what, we're going to tolerate this now. I'm sorry, man, I'm, I'm rabbit trailing bad, but let, let me just stay here just for a minute. You, you know, in the, in the Bible, it talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was a place of just, you know, horrific culture. And if we are not careful, we will recreate that culture in the society we live in. But we've watered it down and we believe the lie of the enemy and saying, well, it's surely it's not as bad as it was then. But as I begin to look at culture, and I'm not talking about the church, but I am holding the church accountable because you are held accountable to the truth of God's word. As a believer in Christ, you are obligated to understand what scripture says and what it supports and what it doesn't. And when you get the opportunity to say, hey, well, what do you believe in? I hope you're supporting the word of God rather than appeasing your friend and, and not trying to offend them. Because compromising the word of God and not wanting to offend people has got us in the place we are as a church and as a culture. We have not voiced our opinions near enough. You know, I had somebody, uh, we went to the uh, banquet, the women's pregnancy banquet, and uh, she made a statement. She said, we are so concerned about offending people. From the other side, do you think they care if they offend us? Never. So I'm not saying 100% flip your offense light switch on, but do not be so concerned about what people think that you shrink back from what you need to speak as God's truth. Okay? All right, back to my notes. Sorry. So, so everything that God created, he made, it was done perfectly. He doesn't make mistakes, and he made it according to his design. This is how he wanted it to be established. He even made us in his image to rule and reign. He gave us the same nature that he had, all dominion, all power, all rule to us. 
Okay, so then if we look at, if we go a little bit through that story, you know, we see the temptation, all of these things happen. And in, in verse chapter three, verse eight, it says, then man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So let me just stop right there. I believe that this was the normal situation for Adam and Eve. They knew the sound of God. They were familiar with the steps of God as he shook the earth with every footstep. As he walked, I believe the trees bowed, guys, of the reverence of who God was. There was this, there was this, there was no sinful nature yet in the earth, and God and man dwelled together in perfect harmony. And at this one moment, they they heard him going through through the garden. And it says, you know, they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. And then in verse 9, but the Lord called to man and he said, Where are you? This was the first time that God and man that there was a disconnection in their life. They were 100% connected with God in perfect harmony. It says that God and Adam, they sat together and said, hey, what do you want to call this one? I'm going to call this one the chipmunk because he has chubby cheeks. I mean, I don't know. You think about all these things. It says that he named all the animals as he saw them. You know, he gave that responsibility to Adam. And, you know, I'm sure God was like, man, that's a good one. I like that. You know, the creativity, that nature that he put within us. But there was a fracturing of that connection at that moment when sin entered the world. And it says that man hid himself. He hid himself from God. So this is the area today that I really want to, you know, focus on. You know, it's God's connection with mankind. You know, God created man to be connected with God. He wanted us being connected with him to have fellowship, to rule, to reign, to exercise his dominion and authority on the earth. Man, I just, uh, just imagine the, the conversations that God and Adam had. God, why'd you do that? Well, let me tell you. Man, that's cool. How did that work? You know, like, I mean, I just, you know, I think of a, of a, of a newborn child with all the questions. Man, well, how does that sun and moon thing work? Well, let me tell you. Had the earth, and I just spun it on my finger, and I sent it into orbit. And I caused the cycle to change, so there'd be day, and there'd be night, and there'd be seasons, and there'd be winter. and there, You mean, just this mind-blown. And, you know, I mean, I can just see it as like, you know, a kid just sitting there just gleaning on how powerful and how amazing God was. And that oneness, that connection with God. God and Adam, they were connected, creator with creation, united in heart, soul, and mind. There was nothing separated them. Then sin entered the world as Satan's ultimate plan of separation between God and man started to work itself into the, into the plan. Did you know as long as God and man were one, there was no way that Satan could influence, harm, or overcome, or even come close to accomplishing his purpose in the human race? Think about that. If man would have never sinned, the enemy could have never accomplished anything. But he knew that that moment that that sin entered the picture and there was a separation from God, it causes us to be in a very dangerous position of being disconnected from God. That was his ultimate plan. If I can separate man from God, if I can get them out of, you know, know, man, you'd you'd be ignorant to pick on my kid if I'm in the room. Now, if I'm nowhere present, maybe you can get away with something, but I'm still going to bust you up when I hear about it. 
you know, as, as a father protecting my children, you know, but think about that. If I am in the room and I am God, <laughs> think about that, man. I, man, I'm all, I can't do anything. So what he, what he decided to do was Satan began to unravel his plan, right? So this is what this is. We have to understand the nature of Satan and the nature of God so we don't get it confused. John 10, 10 in the New King James Version, it says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. But the other side of this, this is, this is the nature of God. He says, but I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Man, pick what you want. I mean, I, I, mean, I know one is way more appealing than the other. You want to play on the Satan side, it is kill, steal, and destroy. He never has your best interest in mind, ever, except to kill, steal, and destroy you, okay? So that word abundantly, this, this is by definition what it says. It says a superabundance, excessive, overflowing, surplus, over and above, more than enough, profuse, extraordinary, above the ordinary, more than sufficient is the kind of God that we serve, and that you may have life and to the excess is what he's offered to us. This is the kind of life that God gives to those who believe. God wants us being connected with him. So from the very beginning, the enemy of this world was striving to disconnect God and man, and he accomplished this. We accomplished, he accomplished this because Eve was deceived, and Adam was choosing to be disobedient to God's command. Do you realize that that command was given to Adam? So Adam was, dis- Adam was disobedient, but Eve was deceived. You realize that? That, that was what happened. The, the instruction was given to Adam, you know, and, he, and at any time he could have said, no, woman, which maybe that's so fearful why men don't like to even do that now. God has said, you know, and I think right there that would have redeemed it, that would have fixed it, and it would have never happened. But he was disobedient. It says that Eve was deceived, and it birthed forth the sinful condition state that we're in today. So the enemy thought he had won, but ultimately God had a plan. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, and 22, and then we'll look at verses 45 through 49 just to cover some of that. 1 Corinthians 15. Starting in verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 and 22, it says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who had fallen asleep. Verse 21, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. So check this out. It starts talking about Adam, the condition, the first Adam versus the second Adam. And we'll see if you can figure out who the second Adam was. Verse 22, it says, For as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive. Okay, let's go to verse 45 in that same chapter. 45 through 49. In verse 45, it says, So it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as the man from heaven, so are those who are of heaven. 
And just as we have bore the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. So we see the first Adam in the Garden of Eden messed it all up. Blame him, whatever you want to say, that's the condition we're in. But God didn't just leave us in that condition. He sent the second Adam, which was Jesus Christ, his one and only son. And he redeemed the connection with God. He made available that connection with God. He removed that sin barrier that was in our lives by the blood that was, that was spilled out on the cross for our sins and for our transgressions. It, it caused us to be called guilty and then to be called innocent. When God looks at us, he, see, he, sees, he sees the blood of Christ. He doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see our fallen nature. You know, and I think that's one of the biggest traps of the enemy. The enemy wants you to see you in your fallen state, not in your glorified state by the grace of God. He doesn't want to see you how God sees you, as victorious men and women of God with unlimited potential to rule and reign, to, to be made in his image, and, and for that same authority that God has given us to be released in the earth through you. The enemy of this world does not want you to know that. So Jesus, uh, Jesus was the second Adam, and he restored all that was lost. Now our connection with God is now fully restored. You realize that? Fully restored. There's nothing more that God is going to do except for come, coming back for us when it's all said and done. The ultimate price has already been paid for our lives. So God desires us to be connected with him, and it's through our relationship and connectedness with him that all of our other relationships and connections thrive. Okay, when our connection with God is strong, our potential to have other strong connections with others is possible. You know, we, we, we want to talk about our, connected, our connection with God because if we don't have a connection with God, every other relationship is going to be a struggle. I know my wife and I, anytime we're getting on each other's nerves or, you know, we're just, we're just kind of are irritated or easily aggravated, we hate this question. But the question that we always go back to is, well, how's your relationship with God? And most of the time when we're on edge and we're not acting godly, it is because a lack of our connectedness to God individually. And that's something I really, really want to highlight, that each of us are accountable to our own personal relationship with God. Don't be thriving on my relationship with God and expect that to be what God wants for you. Man, I hope this morning that you're not just saying, man, I wish I had that relationship with God like Pastor Noe, but man, have your own relationship with God. It's available. Don't say, man, I wish, you know, these guys in, this, in the Bible that were just walked with God and were close to God. How close to God do you really desire to be? You are the only variable that is causing your relationship towards God and with God to be deteriorated. You realize that? You're the only one holding yourself back from being in that closeness, that connectedness with God. John 17, 21 through 23. I'll just read this to you. This is where Jesus prays for, for us as believers. This is what he says in verse 21. It says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you just just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me 
and that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity and let the world know that you sent me and have loved them just as you have loved me. What Jesus is talking about is this oneness, this connectedness where where Jesus had a relationship with the Father. He says, give this same type of connection to them so that they might be in me and I may be in them. And if they're in me, they're in you. Jesus was the glue that, that, that caused the connectedness between us and God to be reestablished. Jesus desires us to be one with the Father, just like he and the Father are one. If we are one with the Father, then there is no chance. If we are one with the Father, then there is a chance that we can be one with one another. That's why it's so critical, guys. If we are one with the Father, we can be one in the Spirit. If we are not one in the, with the Father, it will be almost impossible for us to be one in the Spirit because our Spirit is not of God. It's just in that fallen state. So one of the, one of the first most critical relationships that we got to make sure that we're connected in is our relationship with God. Let's look at one more big passage, 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21. So this passage, it talks about being holy. It establishes the standard of what you know God expects from us Starting in verse 13, it says, Therefore, prepare your mind for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Verse 14, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires uh, you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on, the, on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. It's a completed work, guys. Before the creation of the world, there was a plan to redeem it, to restore it. So the definition, it says, be holy as I am holy. The definition of be is to exist. Okay, so if we talk about being holy, that means to be existing as holy. My existence is holy. You are holy because God is holy. You have to realize that. It's not because we're good people, but we can be holy because God is holy. So it is by his nature within us that causes us to be like him. When that nature in us changes, it causes our actions, it causes our our thoughts, it causes all those things a lot to align with the goodness of who God is. Okay, so we have to understand that we are marked and set apart as his. Holy and blameless by the blood of Christ. Did you hear that? Holy and blameless. Holy and blameless. So that means the moment the enemy says you're not good enough or you've fallen short or your sin has separated you forever from God. Just say those two words, holy and blameless. 
Blameless means that I'm not blamed for anything. Does that not mean we, I mean, we deserve it. Like if we really look at it, we're deserving of death. But God's blood or Jesus' blood purifies us from all unrighteousness. It is a state of being. It is a state of being holy. It's something that God does and we yield to. Okay, it's the, it's the act of being, it's, it's resting in who God is and allowing him to do the work. I know we are work people. We like to be busy. We like to have a part in our, in our salvation process. But you know only God can purge you from the sinful lifestyle that we, that we were born into? I know there's people that have super strong willpower, you know, and, and can get it done. I can do it. You know, just let me, let me, let me, let me, I got my mind right. I got my, you know, but it's, it can only happen by God being involved and released into your life. So we have to be in the act of being near and around God. Just be. I know that sounds like super, like, just be, just be in the presence of God. So you don't have to earn your love and joy that God finds in you. How many of us feel like we have to earn God's approval? We got to read our God, we got to read our Bible for God to be proud of us. We have to show him our straight A report card if he's going to give us a dollar for the straight A's, right? We have to, we feel like we have to earn it. But we don't have to earn that before the Father. He is satisfied with us just being who he created us to be. But we're, we're people that feel like we have to earn it. How many of you say, I struggle with that? I feel like I have to earn God's approval in my life. All of you know, none of y'all? Ever? I know, I mean, I know I've been there. Right, we feel like we have to earn it. And that's the place the enemy wants to continually cripple us because if we have to earn it, we gotta work for it for a lifetime. But we can rest in that being who God has called us to be where I don't have to do anything. You know, I think of that, man, there's no, which not that we aren't responsible and don't have to do things, but I'm under no obligation. Like, you know, it'd be like, well, let's say I wasn't a pastor or I wasn't preaching or I wasn't in the ministry. Well, now God wouldn't be proud of me because I'm not doing certain things to please him. But God is just satisfied with who I am as a person. He created me beautifully and wonderfully. And he's pleased with us. So you don't have to earn your love and joy that God finds in you. God really, really loves you and finds pleasure in, in us as his children. You know, and, and I've, I've, I've learned that even with my own children. You know, they're just a pleasure. They're just a blessing to me. And are there times I want to rip my hair out? Yeah. But in the essence of who they are, they are a blessing and a treasure and a reward, especially when they're sleeping. But think about it, you know, that, you know, we don't, do we want to raise children that they feel that they're having to receive our approval or they just are good enough knowing they're my son or my daughter? That's the struggle. That's what I'm telling you about, just being. What do you mean? Dad, do I need to take the trash out? Do I need to pick up my clothes? Oh, I know you don't like, you know, they're trying to, you know, align with things that, that I really care about and I, you know, my own things that I like, but they don't have to do any of that because they are positioned as my sons and my daughters. And we have to see that in the light of who God is. And we have to just rest in being exactly like he's positioned us and put us. I know that uh, many of us see God as a creator and a maker, Lord and master, judge, redeemer, father, savior, and much, much more. But how many of you have ever considered that God yearns and desires to be your friend? 
I know some of, maybe some of you this morning say, well, God wouldn't really like me if you really knew me. He already loved you to the point of death. You realize that? He loved you to the point of death. He already created you with a purpose and a plan and with a destiny. And he finds pleasure in you doing absolutely nothing but just yielding to him. He just desires to be around you. That's what I'm talking about, this connection. How many of us, when we enter prayer, we feel like we've got to say all these things? I think God just wants us to be around his presence. Because <laughs> to be honest, I run out of words really quick anyway. Any of y'all that did the prayer and fasting or tried to pray for an hour, it's like, okay, I'm prayed, pray, pray. 30 seconds went by and I'm done. I don't really have that much to say, but we feel like we have to say, just man, just be connected through his presence. But he desires to be your friend. God finds pleasure in us even when we're not really focusing or doing anything. Your identity is in Christ, not what you do. You realize that? Your identity is in Christ, not what you do. So let's think of this for a moment. You know, if, if it is based on what we do for God that brings God pleasure, then we must continually be doers and not beers, okay? You know, if, if it's all pivotal on how much I do, then we are going to have to be driven. We're going to have to always be going. We are always trying to earn that approval, right? So God wants you to learn the power of being. It's not, it's not about what you do for God. It's focused on who you are in God and connecting with God on a regular basis, now, there is a twofold thing there because, like, if I am in relationship with God and if I am passionate about God, I will want to do things that please God. Like, they're going to go hand in hand. But what I'm, not, what I'm saying is we are not gaining this approval by what we do. We are gaining the approval because of who we are. You hear the difference? It's not like, hey, well, this week I've been really bad, God. I didn't read. I didn't pray. I didn't do anything. Hope you still love me, Lord. And he says, absolutely, I do. Because none of that really mattered that much. You know, I, I, think, I think sin and these, these habits and all of these things, I really don't think they mess with God like they mess with us. He is not nearly as concerned with things as we are. You know, like if I were to ask you, each of you individually, hey, how's your walk with the Lord? Oh, you're going to talk about prayer. You're going to talk about reading your word. You're going to talk about coming to church. Or, you know, I see people all the time in grocery stores, and if they hadn't been coming or whatever, they're like, Pastor, I'm going to be there this Sunday. Like, Man, that's not what it's about. How is your relationship with God? Right? How, how is that intimacy factor? Are you really connected with God? You know, one of, the, one of the things that really shapes this perspective, I don't know how many of you knew my father before his health really changed his life. He was a man that could build anything with his hands. I mean, his mind is still pretty sharp, but his, his mind has dwindled. And, it, you know, he, he, he is not the man that he used to be. He, you, know, I think, uh, you know, I think of if his health was where it was, man, the, the blessing he would be to where he could help me build in the church. And we could, he added on two bedrooms, bathroom, he did anything. It didn't matter. He was brilliant. Well, when his health began to change, he no longer could do anything. Now, I'm not, I'm not telling you this story because of pity, but I do want you to see that if it is based on what you do of God's approval, then he could never again earn approval towards God because he is incapable of doing it. You know what I'm saying? But God was concerned about who my father was as a son in just knowing him. 
It was never about what he could do. So just so you realize that, because it's not, you know, there's going to be years, I think, that we can thrive, that we can build, that we can work with our hands. And then there may be a season where we cannot do ministry. We can't do, any, we can't do anything for God for whatever reason. And, but that will never disqualify you from, from just being all that God has called you to be. There's hills and valleys, guys, just because you are not actively doing something for God in the church. Maybe you know in this room you are gifted and you are called by God and you, you, whatever life has thrown at you, you are not able to do anything right now for him. He is just as much pleased of you right now as if you were serving to the best of your ability. It does not change the perspective of how God sees you, but he wants you to just be and to rest in who he is and be connected with God. If you stay connected with God, everything else will work itself out, guys. Every other relationship will thrive. Psalms 8, 4, I shared it this morning. It says, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? But we can be friends of God. Do you realize that? James 2, 32 and 24 it says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You're like, oh, I'm glad you gave me a scripture reference because I didn't believe that was possible. It's possible to be a friend of God. But there's different facets of how God wants us to see him. There's times that God is God in that exact authority most of the time in our life. But I think God also wants you to see him as your friend. You don't have to have, you know, friends, man, they're good. You'll, you'll know you're real good friends because they'll love you when everything ain't going good for you. When you're acting like a fool, when your life's all messed up, those are your real friends. But also how those friends respond in those moments. You know, do they kick you while you're down or do they lift you up and say, hey, man, you're better than that. You can make it. You know, the, you know, the friends in our life. But we can be a friend of God. So really deep down, we all have a desire to please God by action if our hearts are His. That'll just be that nature. Like with my wife, you know, I mean, I love her, so I have a, you know, there, you know I should be wanting to please her. I never fold the clothes or wash the dishes because I just love to do it. It's not in my nature vein. Like, I just said, yes, I just, this is me, God. No, I'm trying to help my wife and love my wife. My wife was homesick this morning. Getting the three kids together and closing her door, you know, closing it real quiet so I don't wake her up and trying to like hope I don't forget anything. <laughs> Get the kids ready, look at their outfits. And we all got here. We made it, made it to church. So we were okay. But, you know, loving her so she can get well, right? That my, my love and my, that relationship that I have with her, there's going to be actions, things that I do that are intentional. Guys sitting on the couch, flipping that channel changer, isn't enough work to show your love for your spouse. Well, I love her. She should know it. I said it at the altar. <laughs> Let your actions show it. So, so, so God, in relationship to God, just be. When we talk about family, husbands, you better hustle for your wife. So a question, what are you doing to cultivate a healthy relationship with God for you personally? Think about that. What are you doing to cultivate a healthy relationship with God? So this year, one of our, one of our focuses is on spiritual health of the church. 
you know, and as I was thinking about this, I said, how do we accomplish a healthy church culture? How do we make sure that our, our church is healthy and we don't have, I, I know we're going to have issues, that's just the raw reality, but are we spiritually healthy? And, and God really showed me, he said, how you pr- produce health across the congregation is every single individual person personally focuses on their relationship with God. So that means I focus on my relationship with God, my wife does, and even my children have a focus towards God and pushing them towards, hey, you know, have you prayed? Have you been, you know, have you spent any time with God? You know, like, I mean, trying to get them to figure out what that looks like for them. But that was the key that God showed me. He says, you know, if we individually pursue a close and healthy relationship with God, the, the, the healthy culture of the church will happen because of our individual pursuit of our relationship with him. So each of our relationships, if if each of our relationships are healthy to God, it will cause our relationships to be healthy also. So also flip that around. If our relationship with God is not healthy, it will cause all of our other relationships to, to deteriorate, to fall apart, right? It'll cause them to be affected also. Psalms 27, 4. This was, this was a Psalm of David. He said, one thing I ask and of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and, and to seek him in his temple. Psalms 84, verse 10. It says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. He says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in, your, in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. You know, so I, I did a little bit of research looking on that. So what, what, it, what it was saying is I would rather have the most insignificant role in the kingdom of God but be in his kingdom than in the most glorious place of the wicked. Just to be in that place where when I, you know, I open the door but I can catch my gaze on the Father's eyes. I can be around his glory. I can be near to him. I can be close to him. Just to be near him. So guys, you are as close to God as you choose to be. Don't make excuses. Well, my mama never, or well, this week was, well, you are as close to God as you choose to be. Do you set him as the top priority in your life? Do you make sure that you guard your relationship with him just like you do your most important relationships here on the earth? I know sometimes that's a hard battle, guys. You know, I know, I know God and family and different things sometimes will fight for that, that throne of our hearts that only God should sit. So we're going to look at three things real quick in closing. These are our connection goals, focusing on God. So number one, on the back of your bulletin, if you want to fill these in or if you're taking notes, however you want to do it. So first and foremost, I must choose to be honest with God. Okay, so God doesn't expect you to be perfect, but he does insist on you being completely honest. God sees the heart. He knows the mind. He knows the intents of the heart. He, he, sees, he sees through you like an x-ray machine. But he desires for us to be honest and open If our relationship isn't right with God, we need to be humble ourselves and say, God, man, I have not made you a priority. He knows it already. I mean, I don't know, you know, he's like the perfect father. I don't know when my kids are lying to me sometimes. God always knows. Every single time. You know, and I think, I don't know, he does that kind of like, 
Huh, oh, really? Is that the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Because I am God, <laughs> right? He wants us to be open. He wants us to be transparent. Mom always said, honesty is always the best policy, even when it hurts. How many of you have found that to be true, but also sometimes painful? Right? So God can work in our lives when we are honest. But if we're deceitful and covered, we must come out of our hiding. The nature of man has always been to run and hide. But we must run towards God with open arms. We need to expose sin. Adam and Eve did the same thing, guys. Think about it. They ran, they hid, they clothed themselves. They covered themselves. They were ashamed. That's not, that's not a new nature thing of we're like, oh, well, you know. That's, that was just the, when we mess up, we fall short. But God wants us to be honest before him. So God sees, sees through our righteousness and, ju- and justified. He, I'm sorry. Um, God sees us through his righteousness and our justified state. The word justification means just as if you had never sinned. That's how God sees us. It says that he chooses not to remember our sins. He casts them as far as the east is from the west. He throws them in the sea of forgetfulness. So when we're honest and we say, Lord, forgive me, he remembers them no more. So when we approach the throne of grace the next day after we've already asked God for forgiveness, don't come back into his presence and say, well, Lord, I'm sorry. Remember about yes? He goes, be like amnesia. What are you talking about? You repented from that yesterday. I think, you know, like think about it. He just, he remembers it no more, you know, but the enemy is going to continue to want to beat you with those sins. So when we're honest before God, when we yield ourselves to him, he completely removes those things from our life so that we can remain in full connection with God. Okay. Number two, we must choose to obey God in faith. All through the scripture, you see that it says, you are my friends. If you do what I command, if you're obedient to my word, it shows that you love me. Our love for God will be seen by our obedience to him every single time. Right? Our obedience will show that we love him. So God has has given us the freedom to walk out his statutes fully, the power to overcome all sin. Sin shouldn't trip us up as much as, as it does, guys. I'll speak to myself. It should not trip us up. You know, in the first Corinthians 10, 13, it says that, you know, he, he will never allow you to be tempted beyond where he provides a way out. Your temptation is going to happen. Temptation is going to come, but he always provides a way out. We just got to see that way out. I mean, sometimes it's just backing up a little bit and looking at it, getting a little bit better perspective. Like, oh, you know, I, I think sometimes, you know, I don't know why we willfully throw ourselves in the in the trap. I don't know, we're just walking around blind or what we're doing. It's like, ah, oh, it's okay. I'm gonna be all right. And you fall right into it. God has given us eyes to see. He's given us a way out. He says, no sin tempts you that is not common to man or woman. I want to get you all off the hook, right? There's nothing that you deal with that somebody else hasn't dealt with in a certain vein or a certain type of sin. They're all common, And what you've dealt with, I've probably dealt with. And what I've dealt with, you've probably dealt with. But the enemy wants you to feel like you, you know, you just uh, 
or fighting by yourself. Okay, but God gives us the freedom to walk out his statues fully. If we obey his commands, we love him. So it is in doing what, uh, what is asked of us, not, not because we feel like it. You guys ever been there? Like, man, you, you feel like our, our Christianity walk is out of obligation. Well, I got to do this. I, you know, how many of you, and I know you have, how many of you said, well, I got to go to church today? Right? Think, you feel like it's obligation rather than a joy or being excited about it. I mean, I think we feel like, you know, like, hey, you know, it's an obligation, you know, but I think when our hearts are right and we truly love God, it would be more, man, I get to go to church today. Get to go to the house of the Lord. I get to dwell in his presence. I get to meet with God. There's a story in Matthew 21, 28 through 32 about two sons. It says that he went to his sons and he asked them to go work in the vineyard. He said, he, he said, hey, I need you to go work. And one of them said, yeah, I'll go do it. Absolutely, I'm on my way, but never did it. And then the other one said, man, I'm not doing that. Go work in your own stinking vineyard, right, or whatever. I mean, I'm just thinking of like a kid, like, yeah, that's what he's like. It's not my job. It's your, it's your vineyard. I didn't want a vineyard. But then he, in turn, went and did it. The moral of that story is which one was... Which one honored the father? The one that actually did it and got past those initial motions and feelings and feeling like, ah, he did what he was asked. But that was true love unto his father. So following through with your actions is gonna show that you love God. But we must choose to obey God in faith. Number three, I must desire friendship with God more than ever, anything else. Anything so God has to be number one in your life. No other gods. We see this through the Ten Commandments, all of these things. You know, God does not put up being second best. He doesn't, it does not satisfy him. He, he, is, he, he will not allow it in your life. The more you become God's friend, the more you will care about the things that he cares about. If we allow him to be first in life, you'll begin to love things that he loves. You'll begin to hate things that, that, that he hates. You, that nature of who God is will begin to work in your life and it'll keep you close to God. Good friendships will be determined by the amount of time I invest with them. Okay? So here's the loaded question. How much time do I spend with God? And I ask each of you to ask that for yourself. I'm not talking about worshiping just to worship or just singing. So I'm talking about how much time do we spend with God? Connecting with God, it's one of the most important connections that you'll ever have in your life because from that relationship, all your other relationships will either thrive or die. They will. I can almost tell you every time in my life when things have gotten all messed up, it's because my relationship with the Lord had dwindled or it hadn't been a focus, and I just got focused on stuff. But we keep God as the focus. We stay connected with Him first and foremost. Everything else will work itself out. Healthy, godly relationships are formed from our healthy and intentional relationships with God. Okay? You guys stand up with me. We'll close. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM.